Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor and publisher of Australian Property Journal. My guest today is Mark Weisel, the Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer of Weisel Property Group. Welcome, Mark Weisel, to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Thanks, Nelson. It's uh, great to be here. I think uh, we've been talking about uh, doing something like this for a little while, so um, it's very exciting to be with you and uh, all the Australian Property Journal listeners uh, and readers out there this morning. Yes, definitely. I think um, we've been trying to organise since it's COVID, <laughs> which is how this whole thing started. <laughs> so there you go. Um, now, Mark, you're you know out and running your own agency now. So tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into property and your property company and your own company. Yeah, so I uh, obviously mm. had a um, really enjoyable career um, with CBRE, uh, one of mm. the big uh, global firms. Uh, and that sort of spanned, you know, near on 15 years. And uh, when COVID uh, started to sh really rear its head, uh, sort of in the middle of 2020, um, I think that it had an impact on a lot of people to uh, possibly slow down and, and just reassess uh, where one was at. Mm. Um, and, and I was no different to, to one of those people and uh, just decided that I felt that based on the uh, culmination of a lot of lessons that I'd been given by many mentors in the in the property space uh, Nelson quite often they would talk about key events that led to the success of themselves in property and often those key events were credit crises or credit crunches like in the 70s um, the depression that we sort of had to have uh, the recession in in the early 90s um, through to things like the Asian uh, financial crisis dot com um, dot com sort of uh, bust yeah um, hmm. And then obviously the, the the latest being the the GFC, and then I was sort of sitting there thinking, well, this is a, a pretty serious event. That what's you know what's going on um, socially and economically, and I thought, well, I've always wanted to try and become an investor and developer for myself, but um, never ventured over into that when I was in agency because I always saw it as a conflict of interest uh, versus right. clients of the firm. Mm. Um, but yeah, there was just a, a few signals that sort of said. Um, you know, maybe it's time to, to start something new. So um, we're absolutely not in the agency space. Um, not that I didn't miss it for a long time and um, still miss it every day, but made the decision um, to go fully into the investment and development space um, with a little bit of time being spent in the commercial property advisory space. Mm. Now, so your company, Weisel Property Group, um, you know, tell him, just tell our readers just about that company. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's effectively a um, specialised commercial property um, company um, mm -hmm. working obviously with uh, Lewis Tong, uh, who worked alongside me at uh, CBRE for uh, most of my journey there. So uh, Lewis and I are 50-50 um, business partners in all ventures, in, in all properties and all the different businesses that we're sort of starting under the Weisel Property Group banner. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been uh, very enjoyable to establish something new with Lewis. Um, he, he's a great friend and, um, and a great colleague. Um, and, you know, he's put in a lot of time alongside me uh, over these past two years to sort of establish what we have to date. Um, in essence, Nelson, we're um, looking for opportunities where our skill set uh, complements potential value add. Mm -hmm. um, 
predominantly been working sort of in the retail space uh, for the last little while, um, focusing on purchasing um, smaller retail properties that might have uh, some issues around leasing, around the physical um, aspect of the property where we can come in and apply our skill set, add a little bit of value um, and uh, either potentially divest of those properties or, or keep them in a portfolio. Mm. Now, you, as you mentioned, you know, you sort of took that um, never waste, a, what is it? What's the saying? Never, <laughs> never waste <laughs> oh, an opportunity, uh, a crisis, that's it. Um, but launching a company during COVID was pretty brave, though. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty brave. And um, mm. yeah, there was obviously some mitigating circumstances that sort of mm. um, weighed on my mind when I made the decision to, um, to go down this path. I mean, I think the easy thing for me to do would have been to potentially stay in agency or potentially move to a, to a new agency or something of that nature. But I just mm. knew with inside me that um, I was no longer challenged in the, in the mm. agency space. Um, you know, had an incredible run, um, you know, with a, with a great group of colleagues, you know, over sort of that 2010 to 2020 period, you know, we sort of saw um, the emergence of mainstream Asian capital, um, which I was very fortunate to be at the forefront of. We had an amazing boom in terms of, you know, developers pushing out into the suburbs, which allowed us to, you know, sell a lot of development sites. And then in addition to that, we really worked in a market sort of 2013 to 2000 and probably, well, when I left, I guess the yields were still compressing. So yeah. really that whole seven year period where um, you had yields compressing, um, which at times made it very appealing for certain owners to consider divesting. So it was a perfect landscape for, you know, an active commercial real estate agent. Uh, mm. You had a lot of uh, willing buyers um, and you had enough vendors that, that, that were curious enough to go to the market and see, you know, what those buyers might be prepared to pay. And um, fortunately, you know, for that period at CBRE, I think our clearance rate um, sort of hovered around 85 to 88%, um, which on the volume we were doing sort of in excess of 200 deals a year, um, mm. you know, you're selling sort of eight and a half out of 10 every 10 properties. So, um it was a, it was a great uh, a great crew to be around because uh, there was always something really positive happening every every couple of days. Uh, but yeah, the, look, the challenge was was always there um, during COVID. But um, I was probably more concerned about how I would be received, you know, in the market, especially by other estate agents. Yeah, um, that was something that was you know really of concern to me because obviously I had such a high profile, you know, as a commercial agent. Um, but, but I think, you know, the more I proved myself that I wasn't going to compete in the agency space, that I wasn't, um, you know, acting as a commercial real estate agent at all, um, mm. the industry, you know, really opened up their, their arms to me. And, um, you know, it's, it's been fantastic, you know, learning the business from this side because um, there's always someone to call and, you know, you get to know people uh, like Michael Gross and Billy Holderhead at Burgess Rawson and people that you probably, you know, weren't that close to when you were competing against them. Um, <laughs> Yeah. You know, you get to see a different side of them and, and, and I'm just really grateful that, you know, I've been welcomed in and, and, and I'm getting a great, you know, sort of steady flow of opportunities from the estate agents out there. Yeah, I, well, when you mentioned, you know, that the, the back then when you guys were doing deals for 80% clearance rates, I remember that because I kept reporting on them. So I thought, how many deals have you got this week? Um, but just uh, now I just want to look at what's happening in the current space. You know, it's been a very... Uh, sort of roller coaster ride um, mm. for the property market um, in the past. I suppose 
more so oh, two years, but more so in the past couple of months, um, you know, with interest rates all of a sudden now, you know, running up, uh, going up so quickly. What is happening, you know, from your uh, where you're sitting, what is happening in the marketplace? What are you observing? What are buyers, sellers, what are your sort of contacts telling you? Yeah, certainly through the um, advisory business, which mm. um, is branded Advise Transact. So mm. that had a very, very busy sort of 10 months, uh, sort of the back end of last year into the to the front end of this year. Um, there was a period uh, around uh, Good Friday leading into Anzac Day where it felt like the market started to uh, come off a little bit in terms of the intensity from the buyers. And we certainly um, recognised that on a few campaigns where we were acting as transaction manager um, mm. and the campaigns had been going really well, but come the crunch of the auction or the end of the expression of interest, um, you know, there just wasn't the depth there. Mm. Um, and to an extent, I sort of mentioned to Lewis that, you know, we probably need to be a little bit careful um, if we are entering a, a shifting market in terms of um, values resetting, um, it's not necessarily the best time to be uh, working in, in that advisory divestment space because, um, you know, quite often, um, you know, you can end up at a campaign that just doesn't um, you know, meet the vendor's expectations. And um, obviously that can create a lot of anxiety for the estate agents and also the transaction manager. So we, we, we've been sort of fortunate that we're getting to see um, the market through ourselves as potential buyers of properties. Right. Um, uh, also, when we've been vendors of properties that we've bought and, um, you know, fixed them up a little bit and then divested and, and we've sort of experienced that. So um, we're certainly seeing it from a number of different angles. Um, I would say that the market is still in a state of, you know, somewhat confusion. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there seems to be uh, enough capital out there um, without doubt that's continuing to um, drive results as you're sort of seeing, like you saw the Caligra purchase recently yes, of Dandenong Dandenong Plaza. Plaza. Mm. Um, you know, it's obviously a significant sum of money, uh, you know, in terms of the yield that was mentioned, you know, in the newspaper article, you know, that the yield was sort of, you know, close to 10%. I mean, we haven't sort of read or heard anything of that nature for um, probably over a decade, I would say. So no, um, yeah. you know, we've, probably need to be a bit careful about what we read in the newspaper without, you know, the valuers running their eye over the transaction and, and confirming. But so I think that what we're finding is that, you know, there's certainly still active capital out there, but um, that active capital might've shifted away um, reasonably quickly from the super passive assets. Mm -hmm. um, so it would feel like the sort of, you know, the really super sharp three and a half, four percent cap rates um, might be starting to uh, peter out a little bit. Mm. Um, which was probably needed, you know, for, for the marketplace. I'm not sure, you know, where assets can go, you know, after they sort of reach those sort of highs. Um, but like any market, I think those that are willing to do the work, roll up the sleeves, have the conversations with, you know, sitting tenants, um, you know, look at different angles for properties. You know, I think that there's still certainly opportunity out there for, for people like that. And also capital, um, opportunistic capital, you know, I think is, is still very much rampant and, you're seeing just the behemoths of um, Qualitas and Wingate and MaxCap, you know, continue to go from strength to strength. And they're really a great barometer, I think, of, you know, where the market's at. And, um, you know, Nelson, these people, you know, these companies like Qualitas and, and MaxCap and um, Wingate, like they might be seen as finance kind of uh, houses, but mm. um, the quality of people that they've got within in terms of their staff 
and mm. and how well those people know the real estate markets. Um, mm. You know, it, it, it's virtually like having, um, you know, a, a really great um, cut through to the conditions of the market because, you know, if those guys are still lending money and doing deals, mm. um, you know, that they're putting the appropriate scrutiny on transactions and that, you know, things might be ticking along, you know, better than what some of the mainstream media might be reporting. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, you mentioned, uh, obviously, back to the Dandenong Plaza deal um, in, in Melbourne's southeastern suburbs. Um the, the yields of, you know, around 10%-ish. Does this mean that retail assets like that are currently discounted, the values, valuations, because of obviously, you know, what retail has been through the past couple of years? Yeah, well, I th- what I always sort of noticed in, in my agency career was, you know, that mm-hmm. there are, you know, there did tend to be sort of wide sweeping definitions of, of, of asset classes and different markets. And, mm. you know, I sort of always felt that there was opportunity to really, um, break down, you know, even asset classes within an asset class. So, you know, within True. the retail space, you've got anything from a shop to a supermarket to a neighbourhood centre that might be anchored by a supermarket, you know, through to a sub-regional centre, mm. which might be two supermarkets and a discount department store right through to large. And and I think it's dangerous to, you know, throw a blanket over the sector as a, as a whole. Um mm. I think Dandenong, you know, Plaza's certainly not been bought just as a shopping centre. I think it's been yeah, it's really a development pursued too, yeah. as a yeah, as mm. a re repositioning a, a development um, play. Um, you know, your purest uh, form of you know sort of value analysis, I would say, you know, it, it can be adapted to that neighbourhood shopping centre sector where you've got um, you know a really good uh, segment of the market that sort of looks and plays in that space. And you know, when you're getting four or five um, bids, you know, on those assets you know, all within sort of a sharp pricing range, then um, that probably validates that, you know, there is still um, strong demand. I think Dandenong likely is to, to to be a outlier at that sort of yield. And then you also need to look at the ownership structure of some of these assets. So obviously that asset was owned, um, not in a, I mean, it was, it was part of the Molus group. Mm. Um, obviously Amada, you know, Chris Monaghan had put a number of assets together, including Dandenong, um, mm. and, and they got rolled up into a Molus fund. Um, I think we're seeing very different sort of patterns at the moment, you know, out of the uh, listed rates, mm. um, you know, who might be able to sort of hold on to these assets and, and have a bit of a vested interest through, you know, development, um, you know, pipeline, et cetera, of why they want to hold the assets. So, no, I don't, I don't think that, um, you know, we're heading for 10% territory across the board. Mm. Um, I think that that, you know, Dandenong was a, was a large quantum of dollars, um, an asset that needed, you know, intense management. Um, and really someone that was on the ground, you know, like the political group. So I'm sure they'll do really well, you know, out of that transaction. But, you know, in saying that, you know, as the cost of debt um, drifts out, uh, Nelson, and becomes more expensive, naturally, um, the initial yields um, and the reversionary yields are going to follow suit. Now, I I want to touch upon something that you did back when you were in agency, which was um, a lot of deals from Asian investors um, some years ago, we, we saw, I think at one stage, it was the Singaporeans had overtaken the, the, the Americans as uh, Australia's main sort of uh, offshore capital. Um, yeah. That has somewhat dissipated um, since, you know, the heights of that. Um, is there still interest from Asian investors? And when I mean Asia, Singaporeans, Malaysians, Hong Kong, Chinese, uh, et cetera, um, because I know people tend to just put them in one group. Um, yeah. But is there still interest from Asian investors or any particular country in Australian property? 
Well, I think without doubt, um, you know, especially the Singaporean capital that has partnered with, you know, a whole range of different groups, um, you know, at, at present, like, you know, if you look at how much capital has gone into the industrial sector, yes, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of that capital, um, you know, has been sort of driven out of different parts of Asia. So, you know, I think that, and obviously I'm not day to day on the ground dealing with specific buyers, but mm. needless to say, you know, the, the activity from mainland Chinese developers and investors um, has really come off, you know, virtually mm. to a to a standstill. And um, you know, a lot of the figures around FIRB um, approvals and you know, not just for property, but you know, KPMG, um, you know, put together a, a good report every year called de- demystifying. Yes, um, they do. The, mm. Um, and, and you can see that generally across the board, investment from mainland China is just right off. Um, mm. So yeah, will that come back? You'd, you'd think that in time, it probably would. Uh, I think that really, um, from what I noticed, you know, early in my career right through, uh, was there was always a, a strong underlying level of interest from, you know, people of Asian heritage for commercial mm. property, um, whether they were based in you know, Melbourne in, in the eastern suburbs or, you know, whether they were groups coming from overseas. Um, mm. We've certainly seen the listed Malaysian, Singaporean, mainland Chinese developers sort of pack up and 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 and, and exit Melbourne. Yes. Um, and yeah, you know, I still think one of the major factors for that um, was uh, the change in legislation around um, no stamp duty savings and you know the stamp duty impost for for foreign uh, buyers. Um, I still can't understand, you know, why that was um, legislated. I can't understand why it's still in place. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, um, yeah, if, if we want to get apartment buildings moving again and mm. developers confident to buy sites and, um, do projects, the international investors, you know, for off the plan apartments are a really important, you know, piece in that puzzle. And, um, I, I fear that, you know, we just won't be able to see the activity in that, in that sector, um, until we, um, you know, reopen our, our arms and welcome them back to, to Melbourne, which I hope we do soon. Certainly. I mean, um, we saw uh, when when Asian investors came in or foreign investors came in, there was just so much activity, building activity in the apartment sector. And that has now dropped off completely, um, obviously for a number of reasons too. Um, but certainly the when the taxes were introduced, it was sort of to say, oh, this is to keep out the um, the foreign investors and give the local buyers a chance. But as we just see from the evidence is that there's not enough local demand to fuel the uh, the the um, the construction of apartments. And now we've seen too that the vacancy rates for most cities now in Australia, residential vacancy rates, sorry, um, is under uh, 1%. Um, so there is that desperate need for more housing um, and we don't have the offshore capital to, you know, help bring that stock online. So... Yeah, <laughs> it's certainly that one of the policies that needs to be reviewed. I agree with you. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, even when you drive through that sort of northern corridor of the of the CBD, um, mm. you know, sort of down Elizabeth Street through to the Victoria Market Precinct, and mm. you know, streets like a Beckett Street and Franklin Street and Little Latrobe Street. I mean, um, I, I drive through there, you know, really fondly. You know, that we're involved in so much of you know that activity, selling development sites and leasing, you know, shops and, um, you know, when the students are sort of here in numbers, uh, it's almost a, a precinct in its own within the, within the CBD. It's a, you Very know, true. I sort of always yeah. looked at it as kind of like the, the modern day Chinatown, you know, for, for the young, <laughs> for the youngsters yeah. that, you know, wanted to move away from, 
you know, the, the boring sort of traditionals uh, experience of their parents that, yeah, we're used to in Little Burke Street, you know, I mean, mm. that, that Northern Precinct took on, took on its own life. And um, I always sort of mentioned, you know, when I used to speak more often in at events, et cetera, that at any one time there was probably two or 3,000 people working in those towers to build them. Yes. You know, um, mm. and, 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 yeah, they're real jobs and, and, you know, obviously it keeps the construction uh, industry competitive, you know, when there's a lot of work on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting space and um, you certainly hope that, that it returns because um, I saw a lot of benefit, you know, in that high rise um, residential apartment in, in areas, you know, like the Northern Corridor of the CBD. Mm. Well, it's, it's also gave the CBD a lot of life too when we had a lot of international students in Melbourne. Um, you know, that injected a lot of life into Melbourne CBD. Um, yeah, it did. And, yeah. And, and I think it, you know, it sort of injected a lot of life into our industry, you know, whether yes. it was architects, landscape architects, uh, town planners, uh, engineers, um, all sorts of things. And, you know, it would be pretty exciting being involved in a 60 or 70 level uh, development, you know, I would say, you know, mm. if you're part of the consultant team. And, you know, obviously there's always going to be work out there, whether it's, you know, uh, building new roads or new tunnels or, um, you know, obviously the government, you know, has stimulated the infrastructure side of um, the economy. Um, yes. And that's why we haven't really seen, you know, a mass down tick in, in, in employment sort of in the building sector. And um, because ultimately, you know, the way that the high-rise residential market just came to a standstill with a change in legislation um, mm. should have meant in most situations that there'd be pressure on the building industry, you know, to sustain jobs. But that obviously didn't happen because there's been such a push into infrastructure. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, yes, roads and tunnels are, are certainly important, but, you know, to, to be involved in something as exciting as, you know, a 60 or 70 level uh, mixed-use tower, you know, mm. in, in your career when you're a consultant, you know, uh, and be able to drive past it and, and eat at the bottom in the restaurant. I, I think there's, you know, <laughs> something good about that for our industry. You know, it's mm. not just about people that do jobs, but, you know, I'm sure that people want to be doing things that excite them, you know, and, and motivate them. And um, we were sending very positive messages back to different parts of Asia that Melbourne was a wonderful place to do business, that, um, you know, we welcomed um, foreign investment, both at a, capital for financing level at a developer's level and at, a, at an apartment, you know, purchases level. Um, mm. But unfortunately, that's all just dried up for, for the time being. And uh, I'm just not sure, you know, how many how many more projects we can watch that are catered for downsizers. You know, I mean, yes. you speak to any developer and their only market is downsizers, mum and dad or nana and papa that are, you know, selling their house in Camberwell or Turak or Brighton. Mm. Um and, you know, they're selling them for high prices and then, you know, moving into a, a boutique, one of 15, one of 20 downsizer sort of projects. But um, I sort of probably find that part of the, the market a little bit boring, to be honest. <laughs> well, the thing also is that, you know, the job summit started uh, this week um, or today specifically. Um, and they're talking about, you know, opening up migration again and bringing a skilled workforce back to Australia, you know, something we stopped during COVID. But mm. uh, I just wonder where they're going to house all these people um, if, we have, if we're not building enough housing stock. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah, the challenge I'd certainly, there. <laughs> I'd certainly like to be a bit more abreast, you know, sort of yeah. around the, 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 the um, social sort of mm. situation with housing. And, um, but, 
uh, you know, I guess there's only so much that you can sort of take on in a day. And um, to a little bit of an extent, I've probably had to be a little bit more um, selfish than, than what I have in the last sort of decade, just focusing on, you know, starting this new business and mm. uh, making sure that, you know, you don't make a wrong step because, you know, when, you, when you're out on your own, probably underestimated, you know, how valuable it was to work with an organisation like CBRE for so many mm. years. Um, one mistake, you know, can almost sort of bring about the end of um, end of the pursuit. So, uh, but but in saying that, you know, you can certainly see that there's housing stress out there. Um, you know, just driving around town, it's um, yeah, it's it's very concerning and and worrying. Some of the things that you that I'm seeing anyway on a more regular basis, just in terms of um, people's mental health and um, the state in which you know people are walking around the street. Um, you know, social habits have been changed, you know, so dramatically. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, I, I feel that unfortunately uh, we're probably only at the start of what the true ramifications are of the damage that was done, you know, during that sort of major lockdown period. Mm. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of challenges um, out there, Nelson. But, um, you know, from our point of view, we, we're just putting one step in front of the other, um, you know, certainly trying to do good work with, you know, a bit more of a focus around um, you know, especially what we can do to make the properties more environmentally sustainable. Mm. Um, that's of sort of real interest to us in our development projects and, and also, you know, in our refurbishments, we see a bit of a responsibility, you know, on us as property people to um, keep that in mind. It's not just about doing the, the best deal, the quickest and making the most money. Um, and that's what, you know, really my approach has, has always been, you know, like build it over the long term. Um, mm. I had a couple of really good mentors that guided me in, in that way. And, um, you know, the, the big lesson for me, you know, coming out of this into, into my own business is, um, you know, the estate agents especially need to focus on being relationship people. Um, I, I was always very lucky. It happened very naturally for me that, you know, I was fortunate <laughs> to build up relationships and take an interest in, you know, what my clients were doing away from property and, and, and build more of a personal rapport. And, those relationships have really helped because when I've identified deals that I want to do or that we want to do, Lewis and I and Ross Lyon, obviously, who works with Wise Property Group as well, um, mm. we haven't always had the money ourselves. So we've had to go and pitch to um, capital partners. Mm -hmm. um, and because of the reputation that I fortunately built up in that space um, over a long period, there's been a really great level of support that's enabled us to to do you know more of those transactions than what I think a lot of groups in our position and 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 the time invested to date would have been able to do mm. now you you mentioned that you're in the development space too so i i suppose for our readers and listeners um i'd be you know not doing my job if i didn't ask you what's happening in the development space because they everyone's reading the headlines there's a lot of challenges in this in the uh property development sector right now yeah so we're just starting out um and you know, very much um, at the at the beginning of our journey in that space. Um, mm. I, I, I didn't realise, you know, how complex the space was. Um, you know, the just the intricacies of, of going for a planning permit, you know, from <laughs> scratch mm. um, and, and the level of um, detail that's required and the number of consultants that's re that are required and how many different things need to come together. And we're only developing very simple properties, um, mm. you know, big box retail where, we might buy a site and, and have a tenant that wants to pre-commit um, then a few uh, other projects, but all, you know, mainly in the retail space. 
um, not so much in the mixed use or, or residential space. Um, I think that you find that um, a lot of projects simply um, will have to be put on pause um, mm. for a period of time, um, mainly due to the increase in construction costs. Uh, you know, a lot of these projects, Nelson, I think that a lot of people from the outside look at developers and think, oh, you know, they, they absolutely make a fortune on every pro on every project. And yeah. um, it's just not the case. You know, there's a lot of projects that developers seem to go into where the margins um, are, you know, on the skinnier side. Um, yes. And a lot of that is, you know, sort of a, 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 an outcome of um, the amount of capital, you know, in the in a marketplace, which is chasing a finite group of opportunities. You know, there's not there's not ten great sites in South Melbourne for sale at the moment. There's not ten great sites in Port Melbourne for sale at the moment. Um, and you know, and and people are you know having to sharpen their pencils still in order to secure land in in those areas. And I think when you get a variable as um, you know as serious as what's happened with construction prices, mm. we've got a, a very small example where. Yeah, you know, we budgeted, which we thought very conservatively, for a $1.7 million construction uh, price. And uh, the best we can do at the moment is $2.1 million. Mm. So, you know, you're talking about $400,000 of effectively what would have been profit um, mm. coming off the bottom line. Now, that's going to amplify through all the way through to larger projects. Absolutely, um, yeah. And, and I guess I just hope that lots of the groups that have secured, you know, significant pipelines, you hope that they... Um, are capitalised well enough to be able to hold those properties um, because at the moment, a lot of the feasibilities probably will be struggling to stack up. Yeah, it, it's certainly sort of, you know, we're witnessing the major uh, property companies that are, you know, particularly apartment developers who have just put their projects on hold for now. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it makes not, doesn't make sense with, with labour shortages, all these things like that supply chain challenges that continue. Um, they just don't see how they can go forward with these things, which is, you know, just amplifying, I suppose, every all the challenges that we've got in the industry. We need more um, housing uh, housing stock, but the apartment developers or the property developers in the residential space uh, are, pause, are putting a pause on their projects. Um, yeah, certainly interesting times ahead. I don't know what will happen in 2023. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, mm. yeah, uh, it would seem that the groundswell of sort of what's starting to occur in terms of rising rents, low vacancies, and mm. um, the discussion around migration, you know, should mm. be the catalyst to um, hopefully influence, um, you know, some change uh, at government, you know, to um, get some of these projects sort of off the ground again. Mm. Um, you know, Ultimately, you might have a lot of migrants that are coming that, you know, they're not going to purchase properties, but they certainly need to rent properties. So yes. that could see, you know, the investor market potentially come back, mm. um, you know, and, and, and we need more than just the local investor market to come back. We need the, as we said, the Southeast Asian, you know, yeah. investor market to come back. And um, I don't think the mainland Chinese market necessarily will come back anytime soon because they're obviously constrained at the moment by With their, their capital. capital. Mm. That's right. And, um, a lot of people are, um, you know, have mistaken the true facts about Chinese capital, thinking that, you know, it's something that was done in Australia or in Melbourne that deterred them. But um, when the Chinese capital exited, um, it had nothing to do with local conditions. It was all about um, their own um, policy back home, mm. um, and, and obviously 
um, the government back there um, tightening up capital controls and um, pretty much any money you know exiting it's I think harder you know it's harder to you can't get much more than fifty thousand out of the country you know per mm. person per annum so um, that really puts property on the on the back burner. Mm. Well, we saw that the statistics there from coming out of the American Realtor Association too, that Chinese capital or Chinese purchases of uh, property, residential properties in, in America has also fallen uh, considerably uh, in the past uh, couple of years. And surprisingly, you know, uh, uh, when Trump was elected as president, um, it didn't impact that. <laughs> it didn't impact the demand of uh, Asia of Chinese uh, demand for uh, U.S. properties, but it only started to uh, change when the uh, uh, Chinese mm. government implemented the capital controls. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I want to look at now interest rates. Um, you know, earlier you talked about from your advised transaction transaction side um, that you know you're seeing the cost of capital rise. What does that mean for uh, investors and also vendors in terms of, you know, now putting something on the market? Um, you know, obviously you've seen in the past couple of months, if you're a vendor, hey, the market's been really, really active. There's been all these transactions. I'm going to do this now. But if you put your property on the market now, the cost of debt is rising. Will you still get that same pool of you know, uh, it, will you get that pool where, where there's 20 buyers or sorry, 20 potential buyers or 10 or et cetera? Yeah. Um, what does it mean with interest rates rising? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very fair question and, and a good question. Uh, what it tends to do is it does tend to bring more vendors out to the market to put their property mm -hmm. on the market. And um, the main reason is a lot of vendors like to wait, you know, right until um, the end of the cycle, thinking that it's just going to continue to increase. And um, obviously over the past seven years, um, the vendors that have been patient have been the ones that have really benefited because, you know, yields have just tightened and tightened and tightened. I mean, I remember um, when we first handled some of the Bunnings divestments, there's Bunnings yes. sales and leasebacks, um, we sold a couple on an 8% yield, which, you know, at the time we thought was wonderful um, selling. <laughs> and, you know, those same properties probably uh, would have transacted close to 4%, you know, call it a decade later. So, mm. you know, literally a, a doubling you know, in, in, in the values, um, um, you know, which is, which is, which is quite staggering. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, you, you, you can't um, hide away from the fact that, uh, you know, if there are rising interest rates, that buyers are going to need to adjust um, what they see as their acceptable returns to be um, a little bit um, less sharp than, than previously, because um, often yields are a function of, you know, where money is borrowed at. Mm. Um, the danger is that, you know, you get a whole bunch of vendors that um, want to go to the market now because they think that the market's starting to turn against them. Uh, but what I would say in that situation is the market's probably already turned. Mm. Um, and what then happens is, you know, from a psychology point of view, they end up thinking, well, you know, I never really wanted to sell and now I've made the decision to sell, but they want a price that they thought was achievable in September last year, not in um, September this year. Yes. Um, so then they tend to hang on to their, their, their pricing expectations. Um, the issue with that, Nelson, is um, if, 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 say, you've got 10 active vendors, you know, in one particular sector in Melbourne with an asset on the market at the same time, mm. if they all hang on, then it starts to give off the impression that the buyers are not there for the assets. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, very slowly, it becomes a buyer's market instead of a vendor's market. 
because mm. the buyers start to have the upper hand around stock selection. Mm. And then generally speaking, it's a bit of a waiting game, you know, waiting to say, well, which one of those 10 vendors is going to move first, and meet, first. Them yeah. and, and meet the market. And then once that, that occurs, there's a resetting of the pricing. And mm. then what I sort of noticed in my career, the valuation fraternity start to see that shift in pricing and mm. then any valuations that are coming through or refinancings that are coming through, they tend to get that that softer valuation, which then can put pressure on um, the loan-to-value ratio. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's when that downward cycle can potentially start. Um, I'm not saying that it, that it will, and, and I'm certainly hoping you know that it won't. Um, you know, my company with Lewis, our company, we've um, just purchased our 25th um, property. Um, and you know a whole heap of those properties were purchased, you know, during really peak times of the market. So you know we talk about needing to be a, a team, a business that can you know operate you know anywhere in any conditions um, mm. and still find a way to be successful. Um, mm. And you know certainly you know in my career, you know in agency, I always remember the people that were you know put, you know wishing the market down and you know wanting, uh, in inverted commas to see blood on the street. I'm just not <laughs> sure if I'm just not sure if that's you know how we want to be doing business. And um, I've never believed that in order for you know me to win, somebody else has to lose. Mm. Um, you know, I think that there's there's ways to to find win wins. And you know what comes with a massive property downturn is um, a lot of carnage. You know, in the industry. And um, I don't think you know coming off the back of COVID and um, how mentally stretched people have been. Um, and the enormous task of just being a human, you know, through that period, yes. uh, I I hope that we're not in for carnage because, you know, I just don't think that the mainstream population, you know, could t- could take on, you know, the stress of a, of an economic recession as well, mm. um, you know. So um, I think there's always opportunities to to make money, and there's there's always opportunities to, you know, purchase properties that are value add and. Um, you know, it should be the ones that are thinking creatively and left field about how to adapt and manoeuvre certain properties into uh, more, you know, modern day acceptable sort of product that are the ones that, you know, should do well and, and hopefully will do well. So we, you know, I certainly hope that the market doesn't um, fall. And um, at the moment, it seems that it's a gradual shift. Mm. Um, I would say that, um, you know, if we were talking about where the market was for, say, a mainstream commercial office building or a small shopping centre. Um, at the start of the year, it might have been on a cap rate of, say, you know, four and a quarter to four and three quarter percent. Mm-hmm. I would say that's now probably around, you know, five and a quarter to five and three quarter percent. So I would say that the, the yields generally would have drifted out by about 100 points so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they drift out by, you know, another 100 points gradually over the next 12 months. Yeah. So in that sense, where do you see um, opportunities in the market? Uh, what, which sectors? Where uh, are you identifying where, you know, there's something for vendors, for investors or for any anybody really? We're, we're certainly seeing, um, you know, a lot of interesting um, proposals in the market for properties that um, have sort of found themselves vacant. Um and you know the the vacancy may have occurred for a whole multitude of reasons. There is a fair bit around COVID, mm. um, and 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 you know especially in that kind of small business uh, mum and dad sort of tenant space or franchisee tenant space. Um, you know I think a lot of people's businesses just suffered 
you know, because of the social impact of COVID, mm. you know, that they might've still been able to do, you know, delivery of product, but um, as operators that were running their own small business, it was the interaction of customers that made them thrive as an individual. Mm. Um, sometimes it's not just about selling stuff or making money or, you know, some of it's about the experience, you know, what, why do, why does a husband and wife couple or, you know, a, a husband and husband couple and a wife and wife couple these days. Who, but why, why do they leave, you know, professional <laughs> yeah. jobs to go and chase the dream of starting their own business? I mean, there's a whole lot more to it than just, you know, financial success. Because um, yeah. often, and, and to an extent, as I've found, you know, firsthand, like if it was just all about the money, then I just would have stayed at CBRE. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but, but sometimes there's something in you that you say, well, you know, I want something different for myself and, and I want to challenge myself. And, um, you know, so COVID took a lot of those um, sort of liberties that, that we always took for granted away from us. And, mm. uh, yeah, there, there's still there's still a lingering effect. And I've got no doubt that it's affecting physical property. And um, at the moment, you know, we seem internally, you know, with, with Ross and, and Lewis and, and myself, mm. um, we seem to have come up with, you know, certain products for some small funds uh, mm. where we've got a few high net worth families, you know, that are backing those funds, come up with a concept that seems to be working for us in terms of, you know, ad identifying properties that we think um, are, are a little bit mispriced, mm -hmm. um, you know, sensing the opportunity to jump on those and then, you know, using our skill set to reposition them, stabilize and, and then obviously divest of them. So I think there's, there, there'll be opportunity everywhere. There's, you know, if you look at, say, for example, the commercial office market in the CBD, you know, I think that that's got a, a long way to run in terms of genuine demand with work from home now being so prevalent. Um, do some of those B and C grade buildings become conversion for residential, Nelson? You know? Well, that's an interesting, yeah. I, 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 I looked at um, this morning, oh, well, we ran the story that ISPT repositioned 500 Burke rather than knock it down. Yep. Um, so there's those opportunities now to reposition buildings across the CBD. There's so many B and C grades. So, yeah, do we reposition them as, you know, uh, high-end five-star, six-star, uh, green-star uh, offices or, or do we reposition them uh, for apartments because of there's that need for housing? Well, I think the latter. You know, I think you're on the money with the latter. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of these buildings have floor plates that, that really do suit, you know, residential conversion. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got this absolute groundswell of, of housing demand, you know, of, of what's going on. And that, that isn't yet taking into account even um, what we spoke about earlier in terms of migration. Yes. Um, so, um, I th you know, I think that, you know, um, we can keep banging on about, you know, pushing people to come back to work and, um, <laughs> You know, all the people that own retail in the CBD, mm. you know, want to see that happen because it means more foot traffic, you know, for their tenants. And I understand everybody's different, um, you know, uh, angle and, and, mm. and respect and appreciate it. Uh, but, you know, at some at some point, you can, you know, you've got to sort of start listening to the people. And um, if the emergence of office workers back to the city is just not happening, then it's unlikely that it's going to happen to the extent that everyone hopes even in a couple of years time. So I think the opportunity for, you know, people like Melbourne City Council and the Victorian State Government say, well, um, we're trying to get the trend back to what it was, but it's not going to happen. What's mm. plan B, plan C and plan D? Should we be giving developers grants to purchase office buildings for conversion into residential? You mm. know, are there opportunities to 
um, upgrade, you know, those BNC grade properties significantly from a Green Star and, and, a, and an environmental rating point of view on the basis that they are converted to residential. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't think we need more hotels. You know, that, mm. that's going to be a long burn, you know, in terms of um, tourism, you know, really um, returning. And, um, you know, that's obviously evidenced, you know, by, by what we saw with Qantas. Um, mm. But housing is becoming, you know, more and more, uh, you know, serious but sort of by the month, it's, it would seem. Yeah, it's critical, isn't it? Mm. You know, I mean, Rob Pradlin would be a guy that would be really interesting to, to, to get on your podcast because he's yes, doing so much have, in that social. I have yeah, extended I, that. You yes. know, yeah, mm. he's, uh, he's doing so much in that, in that social housing space. But um, look, there well, this um, is the there, thing. There, You're absolutely right with that social housing space is that I think from the last statistics I looked at, there's 600,000 families out there um, in, in, the, in the queue waiting. So imagine what we could do and achieve there if we converted those B and C grade buildings into uh into you know dwellings residential dwellings and where the state government and the or the council can say all right we'll give you tax breaks um if you make let's say a 30 percent component of that into social and community housing for people yeah again mm. um you know certainly not my um area of expertise no um, <laughs> and there's some really mm. um there's some really smart people sort of working working in that space. But mm. I think the best thing about um, the property industry that I've always witnessed is um, over a long period of time, you might get these sort of small blips um, mm. and they can be from what I've seen so far, you know, three to six month blips in the market where um, uncertainty creeps in and people um, are on the side of caution rather than action. Mm. Um, but the best thing about the property industry is that it's a very resilient, positive, optimistic industry. Um, mm. And I think the way that, you know, the industry responded, you know, to the challenges of COVID is, is a great example of that. Um, you know, the Property Council, the UDIA, um, some of these really important bodies, um, mm. you know, they help carry, carry the industry forward. And, um, you know, you, you can't keep the property industry down, you know, in Melbourne for too long. Um, <laughs> the talent is just chock-a-block. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think that, yeah, there's 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 some great things happening. You know, there's some really great things happening um, right across the right across the industry, um, and you know, there's a lot of people working really hard on um, different initiatives to to make it you know a better industry for everyone. Mm. Well, that was a great note to finish, Mark. <laughs> um, a great view. Um, I was earlier going to mention, but I thought no, I won't do that. I was going to say it's been a tumultuous tumultuous year for you. Um, <laughs> Because uh, the Saints, you 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 don't know whether you were in the eight for a few months there. <laughs> you don't know whether you guys were going to be in the eight, uh, you know, or not. Um, so. Yeah, it was um, it was uh, <laughs> it was certainly uh, certainly that way. Uh, and unfortunately, um, I don't see any sort of clear path ahead for for the Saints. They've got a fair <laughs> bit of work to do. Um, but again, uh, probably uh, above my pay grade. Yes. Um, and I'll leave it to uh, smarter people than me to to fix um, the club down there, and and hopefully um, we'll be you know in September next year. And uh, but you know it's a little bit like you, you can't were help very the ones close, yeah. You're very close, and you can, it's a bit like you can't help the ones that you love in life. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm a long long suffering, but um, you know very proud Saints supporter, and um, you know I think that Andrew Bassett's working you know really hard to to get things going and. Um, hopefully it won't be too far away, you know, before we get some success. 
No, it's all right. Look, I uh, I had a chat with Andrew Welsh uh, the other day, um, and I said, yeah, I'm a long-suffering bomber supporter, so <laughs> it's all right. I understand where you're at. Yeah, well, it's um, it's it's tough for the bombers. It, well, especially yeah. because you experience the success. You know, I mean, yes, I we, know. we've just never really experienced that that success. But it's very interesting with with um, Ross at the moment. Obviously, um, you know, working with him every day and mm. um, yeah, hearing the, the all the different sort of <laughs> innuendo that's going around about him wanting to coach or not wanting yes. to coach. And mm. um, look, I, I mean, I, I just said I, I think that you know if, if a serious offer came that. Um, he should certainly consider it. It's a pretty special thing to be able to be an AFL coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but in saying that, you know, he's applied himself unbelievably in commercial property and, um, you know, he's kicking some real goals in that space as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's certainly interesting times ahead. Hopefully next year, uh, the market for the, the property market will be, uh, you know, uh, I suppose not so tumultuous and also maybe our footy clubs might pick up too. <laughs> Fingers crossed. One can uh, one can only hope. Hopefully both can happen at the same time. Yeah. True. All right. That's good. Well, thank you thank- so much for joining me, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure and um, I take great enjoyment out of reading the um, blast that comes through each morning. Uh, gets yes. me and the, the team uh, up to speed and, um, you know, we're very happy to be members of Australian Property Journal and, um, you know, quite amazing that you, you're not too far away from celebrating your 20th year. So um, I'm sure on behalf of all the listeners, um, thank you for the passion that you and your team put in um, and uh, wish you all the best for, for, the, for the near future. Yeah, thank you. I know it actually reminded me when you said that how old I am now. So thank you for that. <laughs> you're, only, you're, only as old as you, you're only as old as you sound and you sound very young. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But look, I, I, I appreciate you make, taking the time to, to record this podcast and also for your continued support of Australian Property Journal. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Bye. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Cheers. Bye.